0: just wanted to share a quick thought before we get into the text tonight. Uh, this was my first Sunday with the new chair, okay? And after you've had an old chair for 16 years, it just fits you. You know what I mean? And you just lay down, and that chair knows exactly where to go and what to do, and you can sleep a good long time. So I was a little nervous entering into this new phase of life with this new chair, just want you to know it did great uh, I I had a wonderful nap in that chair today it was wonderful so just want you to know I appreciate it very much and uh, some of you have noticed that it's a bigger chair and some of you have mentioned that it'll seat two pretty comfortably if it's the right two people and it fits me and Susie perfect so we like the chair a lot I uh, just want you to know that that we really do appreciate it and it's a great napping chair, so I highly recommend it if you want one, okay? Just not mine. Uh, so tonight I'm going to begin with a thought that is not meant to be preaching at you, and I don't want this to be the the point that you take from the sermon tonight. I simply want this uh, story, I simply want this illustration to be something that we can used to relate uh, the biblical truth to in a few moments. I know that you know this, that every few months we have a fellowship after the evening service of some sort, and it doesn't really matter what the meal is, it doesn't really matter what the occasion or the excuse is. While the food is enjoyable, while the food is something that most of us look forward to, I think you know that the food is not intended to be the primary purpose of the evening, that we have not come together simply to fill our bellies and to go home because we can do that anywhere. You realize that, right? That the point of the, of the fellowship after the evening service is not simply for the meal. The point of the fellowship is in its name, the fellowship. That is the purpose of the Fellowship After Church, for you and I to have fellowship with one another. It's intended to give us a little bit more time to just sit and visit. It's intended to give us an opportunity to visit with people that we may not normally visit with for whatever reasons. It's a time for us to catch up. It's a time for us to let the kids play with one another and enjoy their company. The purpose of the fellowship is for us to have fellowship. I think I don't speak just for myself tonight. I think I speak for several others, and I wouldn't know how many. But I know for myself that there have been many occasions over the years where we have locked up the activity building. We've said our goodbyes to the last few people who are here. We've gotten into the car and we've said something to this effect the food was good, but the fellowship was great. The fellowship was just good. I enjoyed getting to sit and visit with this person or this family. And and oftentimes, Susie and I will say things like this. Did you get a chance to visit with so-and-so? Yes, we did. Did you get a chance to visit with this person? Yes, we did. And and over the years, we have talked about it with the kids. Hey, did you all speak to them? Did you visit with them? Did you play with them? Uh, however the conversation would flow. and And there have been so many times that we have left one of those fellowships And again, while the food was good and filling and and did everything that it was supposed to do, the substance of the night came from the interaction we had with others. While that is true, this continues to amaze me. That while we call it a church-wide fellowship, There seems to always be at least a couple of people who just can't stick around. Now, I'm not being critical of the ones who don't stick around. I'm not being uh, judgmental of them. I'm just saying they just can't stick around, and they're going to head on home and head on out and, and get ready for the day tomorrow. Okay, such is the case. Besides that, there are some others who attend the fellowships. And, and this is what you notice just by way of observation. They don't really get around and visit with folks that they don't otherwise visit with. What you have is people who just kind of sit in their little spot they're not going to branch out. They're not going to visit with anyone. They're not going to go speak to someone and, and, and get to know them a little bit better. No, they're just going to sit there in their little spot, and, and if somebody comes to them and talks to them, they may or may not reciprocate the conversation. Uh, but what they would really prefer, though, is this, is, is that the same two or three people in their life come to them and sit beside them and talk to them so that they don't have to feel awkward. And then as soon as they reasonably can, they're going to slip on out and go ahead and head home. And at the end of the evening, here's what's happened. They've missed out on what could have been available to them. They're the ones who missed out on that opportunity because they were not willing, for whatever reason, to go beyond themselves. All they were really worried about is their schedule, their comfort zone, what they wanted to do, and then call it a night. And I'm convinced, if we could just get people to be honest For those who don't take advantage of the fellowship, they could never honestly say, man, what a blessing. What an encouragement to get to visit with this person. What a blessing to to get to catch up with them and, and get to learn a little bit more about them. They'll never know the blessing because they were never willing to think outside of themselves in that moment. And the reality is this. For the people who do take advantage of it, they'll never be able to explain it to them in such a way that they really get it. The only way they'll get it is if they choose to do what it takes that allows them to get it. Does that make sense? So here's an opportunity available for everyone Some will take full advantage of the opportunity. They'll be extremely blessed by what they engaged in. Others, for whatever reason, will not take advantage of the opportunity. They'll miss out, and they'll not understand how the fellowship could have meant so much to them if they would have just done what it took to get from it what was available. Now again, that's not the sermon. I'm not trying to preach at anyone tonight. That's just an illustration to try to show us where we're going and and to try to get our thoughts together. But I want us to turn tonight to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is where we're going to be. and I know that most of you know this, that this is a familiar portion of Scripture. This is a portion of Scripture that over the years has gotten much attention from many pastors, from many Sunday school teachers, Even some songwriters have written on this particular portion of Scripture because it is such a wonderful portion of Scripture. For those of you who don't know what John chapter 4 involves or is, is dealing with, it's whenever Christ had his personal encounter with the woman at the well from Samaria. If you know anything about this story, then you're probably familiar with this, that this woman that Christ was going to have this encounter with, she had a colorful past, as Christ visited with her, it was revealed that she had been married five times, and she was currently living with the man who was not her husband. And in their day, that was a shameful situation to find yourself in. And so as Christ had this interaction with this lady, he shared with her how she could drink of living water that would allow her to never thirst again. This was something that excited her, but much like Nicodemus and the sermon from last week, it was also somewhat confusing to her. But if you look in verse number 27 of John chapter 4, here is how that initial encounter came to a close. She says, and upon this came the disciples. I'm sorry, not verse number 27. If you look in verse number 29, you see how the The encounter comes to a close. She says, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this, the Christ. So from her perspective in this relation or in this interaction with Christ, it it ended with her having an awareness of who he is, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We know that because of her testimony, many others in the region were saved and believed on Christ, and there were those who, who came out and heard Christ for himself or for themselves, and, and they trusted on Christ, not because of her testimony, but because of what they, again, witnessed for themselves. But all that aside, I want us to look at a few other things tonight and just try to glean from what Christ said. So start in verse number 6 with me this evening. We've got Christ, and it says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So it's around noontime, and it says in verse number 6 that Christ was seated there, and it says in the verse that he was wearied. What does it mean when the Scripture says that Christ was wearied? Well, it means exactly what we think it does. It means that he was tired. It means that he was exhausted. It means that he was fatigued. We might say it like this, Christ was worn out. Now, that's important because it shows us the physical, earthly, natural side of Christ as he walked on this earth, that he was a man who grew weary just like anyone else. He was a man who got tired. He was a man who became fatigued. He was a man who needed to sit and rest and just take a breather for a little bit. And so there Christ is, and he is wearied, so he is sitting there. Again, he knows what's going to happen. He knows the encounter that's going to take place with the woman of Samaria. But the Scripture reminds us of his humanity, that in the midst of all of this, he was weary. He was tired. We also know from the context that that Christ was traveling with the disciples, and it says in verse number 8 that the disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. So the disciples left Christ there at the well, and they continued on into the city for the purpose of buying meat. And I know this is obvious, but I want us to think about this. There's only one reason you buy meat, at least in their day, and that was to consume it. Right. Right. And you consume meat, you consume food when you're what? When you're hungry. That's what you do. So, so what are the disciples doing? They are going into town to buy meat for the purpose of purchasing some food so that they might have the need of hunger met. So in this moment and in this occasion, what is Christ? He is tired and he is hungry. He is worn out and he is hungry. He is exhausted and he is hungry. And it's during the disciples' time away that the woman from Samaria comes. The conversation begins. The conversation unfolds. Everything takes place. And it's now in verse number 27 that we read these words. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. The disciples were amazed that Christ was speaking to this woman from Samaria. For what reason? Well, because she was a Samaritan. That meant that she was a half-breed. That meant that she was a part of an interracial, or she was the result of an interracial relationship. She was the daughter of a Jew and a Gentile. And and in their day, the, the racial divide was very strong. And so the Jews would not have mingled with the Samaritan. And so the disciples were somewhat amazed, and they marveled that Christ was speaking to her. Yet it says in verse number 27, Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? This time the disciples got it right. They did good. They see Christ speaking to this woman from Samaria, and though they are wondering in the back of their minds, it seems, why Christ would be speaking to her, they didn't say anything, Verse number 28, it says the woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, said, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And so while she has gone back to the city to tell others about Christ, it says in verse number 31, In the meanwhile, the disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. So what are the disciples encouraging Christ to do? Well, they're encouraging Christ to eat. Why would they be encouraging Christ to eat? Because they understood the need that was present. They they understood that Christ needed to eat like they needed to eat, like anyone would need to eat. They knew that they had gone to town or to the city for the purpose of buying meat, for the purpose of consuming it, right? Okay, so they've gone to town, they have got the food, they have brought it back to Christ, and they have said to him, Master, it is time to eat. But in verse number 32, what did Christ say unto them? It says that he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Now this is not a super spiritual conversation right now. In fact, it is so common, it is so basic in its content, that in verse number 33, here's what the disciples said. They said one to another, hath any man brought him aught or something to eat? They're kind of confused at this point. We left and went into the city to buy meat, we know that Christ was hungry, we know that he was tired, he sat here to to rest himself, at least from their perspective, that's what it was all about, and now we have come back and we've said, Master, here's the food, Master, you need to eat, and Christ is now saying, listen, I have meat to eat that ye know not of, and they're saying to themselves, who fed him? I mean, who came along and gave him something to eat? To them, this conversation makes no sense. For Christ to have this turnabout in his needs or his desires or his concerns, they're saying to themselves, what's happened? Who's brought him something to eat? So in verse number 34, here's what Jesus said unto them. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Now, in verse number 33 or 35, down through the rest of the chapter, Christ is going to share with them some things that they needed to hear. But I want us to give attention tonight to this thought, to this statement, to this truth. Christ said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Christ was man, was he not? He was. So he was hungry and he was tired. But what did Christ also fully understand? He also fully understood the ramifications of eternity. Did he not? I mean, if anybody understood the reality of eternity, if anyone understood the reality of heaven and hell, if anyone understood the gravity of this matter, it was Christ. And what had Christ just done? He had just shared with this woman who had the colorful past. He had just shared with her... That he was the Christ. That he was the one that people had been looking for. He was the living water that she could drink of and never thirst again. And what did the woman do? She received what Christ offered. She accepted what Christ offered. She took it personal what he offered. And here is what it did. It changed her life. It transformed who she was. She was excited and she wanted to go tell someone else about this man who was the Christ. And here is what Christ witnessed, who understood this all far better than you and I. Here is what Christ witnessed a woman experienced the new birth, being born again. That's what he witnessed. And what was that in response to? That was in response to obedience to his father's will. This this transaction that Christ was able to witness and to be a part of that was the result of his obedience. To the will of his Father, the one that had sent him. So, Christ, I thought you were hungry, the disciples could say. Christ, I thought you wanted some meat. Christ, I I thought we were buying some food for you. You were, and you did. But right now, that's not what I'm worried about. That's not what my concern is. That's, that's not what is on my mind right now. And what has met my need and what has satisfied me and what has brought me what I need right now is not the substance that this world has to offer, but the reward and the joy that comes in obedience To the will of the one who sent me. Does this make sense? Christ, what has you satisfied right now? Christ, what has you content right now? Christ, what is it that has has brought you to this place that you're not even worried about food right now? It's the obedience that has been my meat In this moment, it no longer concerns me, the physical. I think if there is rejoicing in heaven over the sinner that repents, I don't think Christ was sitting there thinking to himself, Well, you know, this woman just got saved, but pass me a sandwich. You know, this woman was on her way to hell, but now she's been saved. She's placed her faith in me. She's been born again. Tell you what, what what did they have at the market today? I don't think that was the reaction of Christ. I don't know what his demeanor would have been like. I don't know what his countenance would have been like. I don't know what his expressions would have been like. But I think if the angels rejoice... Christ was probably about as thrilled as an individual on this side of heaven could be knowing what had just happened to that woman. And the last thing he was worried about was eating because he just got to see the fruit of obedience to the one who sent him. When you think about that statement, when you think about those words of Christ that my meat that my fulfillment, that my satisfaction comes from obedience to him. You have to wonder, if you really think about this from a spiritual perspective, has anything really changed? And the answer should be no. The answer should be no. Now, I, I know that that may not make sense. I know that you may be sitting here saying to yourself, I don't know what you're trying to say. I don't know what you're trying to communicate. All right, let's think about this for just a moment. As human beings, do each of us have needs that are of an earthly nature while we travel through life? Obviously, every one of us do. We've all got needs. So what kind of a need do you and I have? What kind of needs are present in our lives? Well, I think all of us would have to say this. We've got to eat, right? Right. Kind of like Christ, we've got to eat, and and we've got to have rest, and we need some shelter, and we need some clothes on our back, and, and, and there are just certain needs that we have. But while we have these needs, we are also the children of God. We're children of God. So as children of God, if we were to borrow from the, the study of Second Corinthians, what we've got as a result of being a children of God, of, uh, among so many other things, is like a, a ministry of reconciliation amongst this lost world that we're a part of. Okay. Every one of us have an opportunity as children of God to be involved in obedience to the Father's will. That is an opportunity that every one of us have been given an opportunity to participate in. It's kind of like a meal after an evening service. The invitation has been extended to everyone. Okay. If you are a child of God, guess what? You have now been invited to yield yourself to the will of the Father. You are now invited and you are now encouraged. And in fact, we are now commanded to be involved in the service of the Lord in one form or another, in one fashion of an, or of another, every one of us have been called into some kind of ministry to, to be involved in what's going on. And here's what I've discovered about The ministry, here's what I've discovered about obedience. Here's what I have discovered about trying to do what the Father has commanded us to do, to to finish the work that He has given us. Here is what I have discovered, is that when people are involved in the work of the Lord, though the earthly needs still exist, the earthly needs do not have the priority That they otherwise hold in a person's life. Think about this. As much as we may not care to right now, just think about this. If you've ever been involved in the work of the Lord, here's what you know you can be tired, but it's a good kind of tired. To know that that's where you were at, to know that that's what you were involved in, to know that that's what you were doing, was exactly what the Lord wanted you to do. It's not to say that it doesn't produce fatigue. It doesn't mean that it doesn't produce some weariness. But whenever you know that in the midst of everything else you have been obedient to the will of the Father, you may be tired but it's a good kind of tired. Because the meat, the satisfaction, the joy, the fulfillment, the the things that drive us, whenever we're in line with the will of God for our lives, that becomes something that produces a joy and, again, a satisfaction that this world can never produce for us. Whenever we live in obedience to the Father's will, we're just not as hungry as we used to be for the things this world has to offer. Have you ever notice that? When someone is living in obedience to the things of this world, or living in obedience to the things of God, when someone is living in obedience to God's will, this world just doesn't appeal to them like it used to. It just doesn't have the, the appeal and the lure that it once had. There is something far more satisfying than anything this world can, can offer or can give, and, and that's found in obedience to God's will for our lives. When we live in obedience... We're tired, but we're not as tired. Doesn't mean we're not hungry, but we're not hungry for the things we used to be hungry for. So much of this life just doesn't matter in the same way it used to matter. You find someone who is living for the Lord. You find someone who is living in obedience. You find someone who is just concerned about going and doing and saying what God would have them to say. And they have a meat to eat that others know not of. Because their meat is found in doing and accomplishing and performing the will of the one who has sent them. You know what you find of people like that? Generally speaking, you find people who are a little bit happier, a little bit more optimistic, a little bit less concerned about so many other things that the world is concerned about. And there's kind of an appeal to someone like that. There really is. If, if you and I get to, to spend time with people like that and get to rub shoulders with people like that, there, there's kind of an excitement and an appeal to those type of people to, to look at that and say, man, that's really, at least from my perspective, it's fascinating to talk to someone who has the meat to eat that others know not of because it just it satisfies them in ways that, that other things can't. It's a wonderful thing to witness. But you know what's unfortunate, for lack of better words? Just my opinion, and and you can take this for whatever you'd like tonight, but here's what I I think is unfortunate, that so many people who identify themselves as Christians, you know what they never really get around to? They never really get around to concerning themselves for the one's will who sent them. And so they're kind of like the person who sits at the fellowship and, and they don't really do what needs to be done. They really don't engage in what they ought to be engaging in. They're, they're not really a part of the process. They're really not a part of the activity. And there are so many people and it, it's not just in our denomination. It's not just with, with our rank of people. The, the more I hear other preachers and other circles, talk and and discuss issues that they're dealing with, here is what seems to be the problem in much of what would be called mainstream Christianity that so many people have yet to really yield themselves to the will of the one who sent them. And as a result, you know what they don't have much satisfaction in? In obedience to the will of the one who sent them. And so, as a result, you know what they're constantly hungry for? Everything that this world has to offer. What they are hungry for is the next high, the next thrill, the, the next moment that's going to excite them, the next purchase that's, that's going to somehow stimulate them and, and make them feel good about life. And, and, and here's the thing. Because they don't really yield themselves to the will of the one who sent them, because they're not really worried about finishing the work that they've been given, because they're not really worried about finishing strong it just doesn 't ever register with them the satisfaction that can be found in serving the Lord. Have I said this clearly I've got to be honest with you. sometimes I go back and i 'm listening to myself preach and i 'm trying to get things ready for the the radio, and I think I, it didn 't come out right, so I want to make sure this came out right. It seems to be a problem in our ranks that there are so many people who don't yield themselves. They are hungry for the world, and they don't see the joy in serving the Lord. They don't see the satisfaction. They don't see the contentment. They don't see the thrill. And here's the thing. Somebody who's engaged in the work of the Lord, someone who's trying to be obedient to the will of the one who sent them, they can talk to that person all they want. That person will never get it until they choose to be obedient to the will of the one who sent them. I can't make somebody else be obedient to the will of God any more than I can make somebody be friendly at a church fellowship. I can go to them and I can say, you're going to love it. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to be so satisfied, if you will, but until they choose to do it, they're not going to do it. So what are we looking at? We are looking at a multitude of people who identify themselves with Christianity. They identify themselves as a follower of God. And as they do that, they have no desire to be obedient. They're still hungry for the things of this world. And they don't understand the joy of In serving the Lord. Now tonight we come to kind of an awkward spot in the sermon. Because there's a question that needs to be asked. But the obvious response is obvious. The question is this. Are we living with a desire to do the will of the one who sent us? I mean, if that's where the meat is at, if that's where the joy and the satisfaction is found, are we striving to live in obedience to the will of the one who sent us? Now, see, the question is simple, and the answer that most people will give is obvious. Most everyone would answer, well, of course I am. How could you suggest anything other than my desire to be obedient to the one who sent me. Well, to an extent, we have to answer that question in contrast to what else it is we might be hungering for. If we want to do the will of the Father, do we want it bad enough that we don't hunger for the things of this world in the way that we once did? Are we willing to put aside the things of the world, the desires of the world, the the priorities of the world, everything that the world tells us matters and is important? Are we willing to put that aside so that we can simply follow in obedience to the one who sent us? It would be wonderful, and I know that you know this, but it would be wonderful if everyone who claimed to be saved said, you know, really the only thing that matters is obedience. But that's not where we live. It's unfortunate. And so many go through life and they just don't get it. The joy that comes through obedience to his will. Are we getting the meat of life? from Him rather than the things of this world. The things of this world, we know this, it'll never satisfy us. But if we desire and we determine to live in obedience to Him, it is amazing how that will carry us through hard times, through difficult times, through trying times, whatever we'd like to call it. There is meat and obedience but we've got to make the choice to be willing to concern ourselves with obedience. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. Lord, I don't know. I don't know where every person is at. I don't know what each person is dealing with in their own personal lives. But, God, it would be very beneficial to each of us if we would stop and evaluate what kind of an appetite we've got and where we find our fulfillment. Lord, I know that all of us have needs on this earth that have to be met. That's just an obvious truth. But, Lord, if we're really desiring to serve you, so much of what we often strive for really doesn't have a place in our in our level of concern, I guess. God, I pray that you'd help us to be honest before you, that we would let you speak to us. And if we're not hungering for what you offer through obedience, I pray that you'd help us to make that choice. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.